Thank you, Lord, for your word and your promises that we know that we do not wage war against flesh and blood, that you win the battles in the spiritual realms. Thank you, Lord God, that the cross proves to us uh, that your blood was shed for us to be delivered, that your love is complete and perfect, and we can walk in faith and not be crushed. Uh, Be with us in this service. Speak to us as only you can. In your name we pray. Amen. Maybe seated, if you haven't been seated yet. Um, just thinking of that song, you ever noticed in the Gospels, I don't remember which one, but Jesus makes sure that the disciples have swords before the Garden of Gethsemane. And then, when they show up to arrest him, one of the disciples pulls out a sword and cuts off Malchus's ear, the high priest's servant. And Jesus said, why did you do that? <laughs> It's kind of funny, right? You're like, you made sure we had swords. Yeah, I made sure you had a sword so you wouldn't use it. (laughs) It's one of those things where God teaches us that he can equip us with the ability to defend ourselves, but the battle belongs to him. And it's not by our strength and by our effort and our power that the victory is won. It's by going to the King of kings and Lord of lords and letting him fight our battles for us. Amen? Uh, we're not in mourning up here. There's actually graduation happening. Uh, we had K-5 graduation this past week and uh, eighth grade graduation this Thursday. And um, my oldest, Emma's graduating from Covenant. I'm excited about that. A little sad, too. Yeah, she's time flies. Um, but that's why this is up here. As Pastor Sean shared with you, there's a lot of needs in our church. But I don't think it's something we need to despair, God, because the battle belongs to the Lord. And uh, a lot of you have contacted me about friends and family and loved ones facing illnesses and and challenges. And uh, I just think God's on the move. And um, for God to show us the miraculous, we have to have challenges to overcome, right? And he's giving us platforms and opportunities for us to see his power. So we have one more week of Wednesday night, normal Wednesday night, and then the following week we have our summer kickoff. And uh, so there's a sign-up sheet out at the welcome desk out there uh, to bring food or or snacks or whatever. Uh, There's a list of things you can choose from. But I encourage you guys to come to that. We it's a it's a chance just to fellowship as the church and enjoy some outdoor games and activities. Hopefully the rain will hold off that day and we'll have a good time. But I encourage you to sign up for that. When I was a kid, I was perpetually afraid of heights. My hands would get sweaty even watching a TV show when somebody was on something high. If you, if you have a fear of heights, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, I couldn't get out of my mind the idea of falling and being out of control. So when I was around eight, we took a trip to Disney World and we rode Space Mountain. I had no idea what Space Mountain was. And my brother and sister totally downplayed it. But it wasn't until we got on the ride that I realized this is a roller coaster in the dark. Now, um, you'd think that not being able to see how high I am, I might be able to enjoy it more. But it was the exact opposite. My imagination ran wild as to, you know, being eight years old, you think you're actually flying through space. And I remember the ride ending, and I gripped that bar so hard that they had to peel my hands off the bar, and then I had to run my hands underwater at the water fountain just to get the feeling back in my fingertips. 
Now, I love roller coasters at the, the ripe old age of 43, but how did I get to the point where I was afraid of heights to where I am now? Well, I've worked on rooftops and done projects at different heights that would have petrified me as a child. But what's the difference? The difference is prayer. The difference is prayer. You may laugh at this, but I started riding roller coasters in high school. It got to the point where peer pressure kind of got me out of my shell a little bit. And you know, the, and I'm thinking about, uh, what is it, the Steel Phantom was the, the big one at the time. And you know, those, those big roller coasters, you have that, that incline at the beginning, the juke, 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 juke thing. It terrified me. So how I got over that was when we'd start to go back, you're tilted and all you can see is sky, and you know you're slowly going up, and, and you could, that was always the scariest part for me. I just started praying. And I would just close my eyes, and I'd say, God, I give you my life. I give you my everything. I'd renew every relationship with God possible. But it was a beautiful moment of surrender to where I knew I was good with my Creator. And so when we'd peak the top and just go down, it started being enjoyable. And so it became my pattern, even to this day, where when I ride a roller coaster, I pray. Now, now I don't have to close my eyes. Now I look around, and I enjoy the view, and I look for my car in the parking lot, and, and, and I thank God for his creation. It, it's a totally different experience. Um, and so even <clears throat> Ephraim, I wrote this sermon early this week. <clears throat> Ephraim told me that when I talked to him about his, his journey with his son, it, the thing he told me was, he said, Pastor Nate, I don't want what happens day by day to dictate my faith in Jesus. We're going to have good days with my son. We're going to have bad days. But I know God is faithful, and that's what I want to hold on to. And so life is a roller coaster, isn't it? You have some really high highs and some really low lows. And as, as long as it takes you to get to that high, those lows come pretty quick. But the difference is there's a definite beginning and end and there's somebody at the controls. And that somebody is a God that loves you. And that's what we have to hold on to. Um, today's sermon is entitled with an acronym for fear. Fear. Forgetting Elohim administers reality. Now, Elohim is a Hebrew word for God. So what I'm saying here is forgetting God administers reality. Fear finds its place in our heart when we forget that God's in control. Fear comes in like a flood when we doubt God's love for us and his good plan. And fear settles in our hearts, turning us to stone when we have doubts about the future and what tomorrow brings. And so we've just finished Haggai. We're starting into Zechariah. Um, and we, these two books are really interesting. Uh, they take place one after the other in, in the canon of Scripture. Um, but they take place literally at the same time. The book of Haggai takes place during the months of August, October, and December of the second year of the reign of King Darius. And Zechariah takes place during the month of November and then in February of the following year. So this is a scenario where God is sending two different prophets to the people at this critical juncture with two messages that will coincide, yes, but God is speaking. And I really think that we're living in a time and place where God is continually speaking. And he wants us to hear him clearly. 
And so sometimes he confirms those messages. So again, just to, I've been in contact with, with Ephraim and Lindsay, and, and as I was praying for them, um, I remember the passage of Scripture where Jesus was asked by his disciples, why, why is this man born blind? They're standing outside the temple. And they said, was it his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus said, neither. It's so that the power of God might be seen in his life. And so I sent that to them. I said, Ezra is going through what he's going through so the power of God might be seen in his life. And Lindsay texted back to me and said, Ephraim just shared that verse with me yesterday. That's affirmation of the Holy Spirit, right? And so God's doing that in this day and in this age. So, again, let's, let's set the scenario. The people of Israel are going through a time where they're seeking to reestablish themselves. We're going through uh, COVID and, and, and political strife and national issues. Um, they've been exiled for their home for 70 years. They had real fears like we do. Again, our scenario is not perfect like theirs. Um, it's strange. I don't often remember my dreams, but my dream last night, and, and I don't think this is definitely prophetic or anything, but I, I dreamed our country was invaded. <laughs> and I was, I was like scrambling to figure out what to do. And, and so I was having to trust in God even in my dream. And so in a strange way, I feel a little more connected to what these Israelites were feeling that during this time of the exile and coming out of it is, you know, will we ever feel safe again? What's life going to be like now? Are we going to have to suffer and continue to suffer for the decisions of others? The wicked are ruling right now, but for how long? And so as I'm trying to rebuild my life, does God still care about me? So we've seen in Haggai that as the people have kind of tried to reset their lives, they focused on their own homes first. And, and let's be honest, <laughs> we're just as guilty, right? When COVID got reestablished, we're like, okay, let's get back to our patterns. Let's, let's get back to our flows. Let's get our kids back in sports. They're driving me crazy in this house. You know, whatever it might be, we sought to reestablish our homes. And God said, no, no, no. We need to reestablish worship. My temple needs to be rebuilt. And so as the foundations are being laid, God is encouraging them. Be strong. He says it three times. Be strong and embrace that I have a plan for your life. And so we cannot dismiss the great things God's had planned for us because we figure that we have so little to offer. Do you remember Jesus' observations in the temple where this rich guy gave a bunch in the offering and this widow gave a mite? And of course, his disciples, if they're thinking, they're like, oh yeah, that, guy, that guy's better off with God. First of all, he has a bunch of riches to give and this, this lady had nothing. And Jesus said, it's a greater blessing this woman gave her last penny than what that guy gave out of his abundance. See, that what you have to offer God, you may think is a little, but God delights in every little bit we give him, especially when we only have a little to give. Um, so we're here in Zechariah chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. In November of the second year of King Darius's reign, the Lord gave this message to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, and grandson of Iddo. I, the Lord, was very angry with your ancestors. Therefore say to the people, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. 
Don't be like your ancestors who would not listen or pay attention when the earlier prophets said to them, this is what the Lord of the heavens army says. Turn from your evil ways and stop all your evil practices. Where are your ancestors now? They and the prophets are long dead. But everything I said through my servants, the prophets, happened to your ancestors just as I said. As a result, they repented and said, We have received what we deserve from the Lord of heaven's armies. He has done what he has said he would do. The beauty of this passage is that in the midst of the people rebuilding the temple, as we saw in the book of Haggai, God gives a message to Zechariah to bring clarity to their fears. I know what you're feeling inside. You're, you're stepping out in obedience. You're laying the foundation of, of worship, but internally you still are struggling. And the questions of their fear are, are we going to end up like our ancestors? Does history have to repeat itself? Um, I know I'm imperfect. I know how much of a screw-up I am. So at what point is God going to be done with me? Those are internal questions we all ask ourselves, right? If we take the time to self-reflect, part of the challenge of our day and age is media. And we have the ability to distract ourselves so constantly that we don't ask these deep questions of ourselves. But in our windows, where we're kind of jarred a little bit, I, I really think that's why so many young people are dealing with depression right now, is this COVID thing forced them to ask questions that they've never pondered before. And without Jesus as part of their structure, they have no answers. And, and so as you're internally asking these questions, even as a believer, as you're walking in obedience, fear rises up. And so when fear rises up, it creates crazy rabbit trails in our mind. Things like that aren't true or it takes a bit of truth and it skews it. So you may think, man, my family's just cursed. My family's just cursed. God doesn't have, God must have a limit as to what he'll put up with, and I'm past it. God hates me. Fear doesn't care how it takes you out, whether you play the victim, the martyr, or the worst of the worst. Whatever you say in your head to get you to believe the lies, fear will do it. And so fear takes over your mind and sours your heart without fact or reality. Fears don't make sense because fear is always a projection of the future that hasn't happened yet. Fear is forgetting that Elohim administers reality. And so getting ourselves grounded in God's word is essential to living in reality and growing. And so in this moment, God gives Zechariah a dose of true reality. So I'm going to kind of paraphrase in my own words the message um, that God gave him. He basically says, yes, it's true that I was angry with your ancestors, but there's a reason for my anger. They wouldn't listen to me. Do you ever get angry when people don't listen to you? Oh, I can't stand it in the car when I'm driving and I got a kid in the back seat and they say, ask me a question. Hey, dad, when are we going to get there? And I'll say, an hour and a half. And they say, huh? In an hour and a half. What'd you say? Or, or they'll ask me again. 
in like five minutes. When are we going to get there? I just told you five minutes ago, it's an hour and a half. Can do some math in your head, mental math. God gets frustrated with us too because we don't do that. We don't listen. No matter how many times I told them the truth, related my process, promises, or explained to them the consequences of the wrong choices, they did it anyway. And so my expectation for you is the same as for your ancestors. Stop choosing to disobey me and follow evil practices. You have a choice. And I think that's the emphasis at the end of the book of Haggai and the beginning of Zechariah. You have a choice. So make the right choice. If you return to me, I'll return to you. It's not that I'm not capable of getting to you and giving you everything that your heart desires. I can do all of that. But if you're, if you're not listening, if you're not walking in obedience, if you're a spoiled brat, no, that's not good for you. Return to me and I'll return to you. My wrath on them has passed because they're now all dead. But don't forget that everything I said, I did. I always keep my promises. And, and, and so he even quotes them. Even after they suffered the consequences of their actions, they admitted their fault. They repented and said, yes, we were wrong. God did everything that he said. We should have listened to him. It, God does not delight in saying, ha ha, I told you so. He doesn't. He grieves. He grieves. The expression on his face when Peter denied him three times was not, ha ha ha. No, it was like, oh, Peter, I told you. I told you. I love you. Don't worry, I'm about to die on a cross for you, and then I'll find you, and I'll call you again. I'm not done with you. Fear preys on the lie that we don't have a choice. It feeds on the lie that God doesn't want what's best for us. Fear feasts on calling truth a lie, and every single one of those is a lie. You do have a choice. God wants what's best for you, and the truth is the truth no matter what, because the truth is grounded in the person of Jesus Christ. So, let's just wake up. Let's wake up from our slumber and realize daily we have a choice. Now, temptation and sin works this way on me. If I fall short and I allow sin into my heart one day and I really crash hard, I wake up the next day and say, oh, man, I am just, oh, I failed God so miserably yesterday. He's got to be done with me. I can't, that's a lie. It's a lie. He caused the sun to set on the previous day and the sun to rise on a new day. And his mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. And so our attitude needs to be grounded in the truth. I love you. Let's do it together today. You failed me yesterday. It's all right. We got more to go. My kids hate bringing me their bad grades, right? And am I disappointed? Sure. But if they've done their best, I'm happy. 
I still say to them, let me help you do better tomorrow. That's the same attitude. Let's keep reading. 7 through 17. Three months later, on February 15th, the Lord sent another message to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, and grandson of Iddo. In a vision during the night, I saw a man sitting on a red horse that was standing among some myrtle trees in a small valley. Behind him were riders on red, brown, and white horses. I asked the angel who was talking with me, My Lord, what do these horses mean? I will show you, the angel replied. The riders standing among the myrtle trees then explained, They are the ones the Lord has sent out to patrol the earth. Then the other riders reported the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees. We have been patrolling the earth, and the whole earth is at peace. Upon hearing this, the angel of the Lord prayed this prayer. O Lord of heaven's armies, for 70 years now you have been angry with Jerusalem and the towns of Judah. How long until you again show mercy to them? And the Lord spoke in, in comforting words to the angel who talked with me. Then the angel said to me, Shout this message for all to hear. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. My love for Jerusalem and Mount Zion is passionate and strong, but I am very angry with other nations that are now enjoying peace and security. I was only a little angry with my people, but the nations inflicted harm on them far beyond my intentions. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I have returned to show mercy to Jerusalem. My temple will be rebuilt, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and measurements will be taken for the reconstruction of Jerusalem. Say this also, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies says, the towns of Israel will again flow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem as his own. So, again, the perspective is, They've stepped out in obedience. They've laid the foundation. They're doing all the right things. They're listening to God. They're walking in obedience. They're changing their patterns. They're getting rid of sin in their lives. And it seems like the rest of the world isn't changing at all. Circumstances, situations, still bad. Have you ever felt that way? God, you promised that if I'm obedient, then your blessings will fall. But the world around me is still in chaos. I mean, three months since you spoke to us last from Zechariah. I'm frustrated here. So in this one night, Zechariah is going to have eight visions. This morning, we're just going to look at one, the one of the myrtle tree and the four riders. The significance of the myrtle tree is its enduring quality in a harsh climate. In spite of being found in desert regions, it remains aromatic with beautiful flowers in the spring and then produces berries in the fall. It's truly life and beauty in the midst of a harsh climate. And it's said that there were myrtle trees in the basin of, of the Jerusalem Valley between the Mount of Olives and the temple itself. And so this is what God wants us to look like, guys. The myrtle tree in itself is an illustration. I want you to smell great and be full of life no matter the climate around you. I want you to be a beacon. I mean, the myrtle tree will stand out in a desert when everything else looks awful. Maybe you miss a myrtle tree in, in our West Virginia forests. But in Jerusalem, you wouldn't miss it. And you would smell it and you'd be drawn to it. Now these four horsemen or angels are represented in Scripture several times. 
Ezekiel talks about the four living creatures. These, uh, these four horsemen are repeated again in Zechariah 6 that we'll see here in a few weeks with chariots. They're also mentioned in Revelation 4 and 6 as the four horsemen. We know them as the four horsemen of the apocalypse bringing about the end of the age. So why four? Well, the clearest explanation I was able to uncover is the directions on a compass. God's angels circle the world. Every direction. There's not a place where we live that he is not looking over us. Now, I tried to explore the reasons for the different colored horses, but I found so many different explanations and, and, and information that I didn't want to key in on that this morning. What I do want to key in on the fact that the Lord of Heaven's army is in control. God is in control. And He's designated specific angels to look over this whole earth. Isn't that comforting? Right now, angels are watching over us. Looking over God's people. In Myanmar. In Hungary. In South America. Angels are watching us. And patrolling and, and taking care of us. And the report of these angels. They say the world is at peace. Oh, world peace. Every beauty pageant's answer, right? I want world peace. Wonderful. We're all at peace. The problem is the world may be at peace, but God's people are still in brokenness and pain and heartache. You see, they're still being oppressed by an empire. Fear is still their daily reality. So this report from the angels saying the world's at peace would not be a comfort to Zechariah. It would be like, <laughs> so the bad guys are living it up and we're suffering. And so a peaceful world is not God's present goal. Eternal peace is. Peace and security without God is more dangerous than a restless world with him. I would rather live, have our world in chaos and have Jesus close than to have a perfect life without him. That's the truth. So what are we pursuing? That's a great question, right? Are we pursuing world peace? Are we pursuing peace with everyone? I would talk about Jesus more, but I don't want to ruffle feathers at work. I don't want complications with my family. I don't want to stir the pot. Do you want world peace or eternal peace? So what's beautiful about this passage is when the report's given, there's concern by this head angel for us. I've never seen this before in Scripture. The angel speaks up and says this, O Lord of heaven's armies, for 70 years now you have been angry with Jerusalem and the towns of Judah. How long until you again show mercy to them? And the Lord spoke kind and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. Do you realize the angels are not just up there like the soldiers who, who, who guard the, the tomb of the unknown soldier that aren't allowed to talk or, or those I call them cotton swab guys, you know, the outside of uh, the, the palace in London. You know, the, you can't talk to them. And 
That's not how the angels watching over us are. They are deeply invested in our lives. And they intercede to the Father for us. And the angel says, how long, Lord? How long? That's such a comfort. That's such a comfort. And as the angels comforted, he comforts Zechariah with the message that God gives him. And so Zechariah, I mean, Zechariah, as, as, as people in the church, as God's people, we feel this way. And it, it's so nice to know that the angels feel that way as well. And so it's a message from their heart and our heart. And God says, no, no, what you're feeling is my heart for my people. And the angel's message is this, shout this message for all to hear. I love in Scripture when God calls us to shout. I love it. I don't like it when my kids shout all the time. Um, but it reminds me of the, the first ten chapters in Proverbs. Wisdom stands on the hilltop shouting, Come to me, all who lack wisdom and knowledge, and I will give you life and truth and set you apart. The wayward woman whispers in secret. Sneaky. Wisdom shouts. Remember Jericho? Walk in silence, walk in silence, walk in silence. Shout! And the walls came down. Woo! He says, shout this message for all to hear. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. My love for Jerusalem and Mount Zion is passionate and strong. But I am very angry with other nations that are now enjoying peace and security. I was only a little angry with my people, but the nations inflicted harm on them far beyond my intentions. This is what the Lord says. I have returned to show mercy to Jerusalem. My temple will be rebuilt, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and measurements will be taken for the reconstruction of Jerusalem. Say this also. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. The towns of Israel will again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem as his own. The point of this, God loves us. He is passionate for us. His love has not faded over the years, but it remains. He'll never say, I don't love you anymore. I just don't feel the same way about you. You've changed. You don't do anything for me. It was never about what we did for him. It was always about what he's done for us. And he says, shout it! I love you! Are you going to get the message now? <laughs> I love you! As crazy as Tom Cruise looked, you know, years ago when he was on Oprah or something, was jumping on a couch about how much he loved Katie Holmes, that's nothing compared to what God will do for us. I mean, David got a little taste of it when he danced before in the, the ark in the linen ephod, right? He's dancing, and his wife's like, what is wrong with you? My dad never acted that way. And he said, I would rather look foolish before every man and honor my God. I don't care. That's the kind of love God has for us. So while we're here in the midst of our fear and our doubt and our, and our suffering and our sorrow, and we think, God, where are you? He's saying, I love you! And on top of that, he says, when I was angry with my people, it was this small. But my anger for the nations is like this. 
I used them to bring punishment, but they took it too far. And I am going to bring my wrath on those who stand against me. So he, as they sit in this moment, walking in obedience, still in fear and heartache and misery, he says, I will show you mercy. I'm going to restore your worship. I'm going to restore Jerusalem. I'm going to bring prosperity. But your part is to choose to receive what I have for you. My number one parenting lesson that I do with my kids all the time is when they have to get punished, I said, kids, you chose this. I want to offer you blessings instead of consequences. This is the consequences that you chose. But tomorrow's a new day. Let's choose to do the right thing because I can't wait to bless you. And it takes time and time. And as a parent, I don't ever get to a point where I say, I'm done with you. It just is that process. And then when the light bulb comes on, it's just like, oh, thank you. And through the while, you've got to say, I love you. Even those days where you really don't like your kids. I love you. I love you. I love you. Our God is greater than even the best of parents. So this is what I want you to hear and believe. Ignore the world you see projected around you, full of heartache and pain, lacking hope. This is a world that is controlled by fear. F forgetting Elohim administers reality. That's why you need godly counselors in your life. That's why you need to be in God's word. And so we need to listen to God's promises. Get in the word. Believe it. Ask God to give you a different perspective through prayer. So last night, I asked the intercessors team to lead Breathe Deeply, since David and Rachel weren't able to do it, and focus on prayer for Ezra. Was there any power in the place? No. Was there any power in the people? No. Where was the power for what we were doing? The Holy Spirit. We were coming to Daddy and saying, Daddy, your child here is in great need, and we can't do for him what we'd like to do. Can you extend his life? And there's no doubt that God has a plan for Ezra because he's named Ezra. I mean, Ezra is also a contemporary of Haggai and Zechariah. His parents appropriately named him because God is building something new in this generation. And so what he's teaching us, even through this infant who's, who's been on this side of the womb only a week, is trust me, be strong, I love you, we're going to build something, now stand in it, make the right choice daily. What the future is going to look like for Ezra will depend on what we choose for him today. And so he's rallying his people to fervent prayer. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'll place my yoke upon you. It's not heavy. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Jesus, as we come to this place of communion, where we receive this holy sacrament that you set apart, I pray, Lord Jesus, that um, we would understand more fully today of the depth of your love, the fact that the cross gives us an eternal choice, and that, Lord Jesus, we are on the verge of great blessing. That even though our world around us seems 
in chaos and discord, and there's lots of reasons to fear. You, God, administer reality. You, God, are in control. And you say, I know how this world started, and I know how this world's going to end. I know the day you were born and the day that I've set for you to die. I know every hair on your head. I know your gifts, your talents, your abilities. Let me take control. Help us, Lord, to just lift our hands from that railing on our car, on this roller coaster of life, so that we can praise you in the ups and in the downs. In the twists and the turns, let you be glorified. And God, not just in Ezra's life, but all of our lives, may our life be a testimony of your power. In your name we pray, amen.